0: Please do turn with me this evening to Luke's Gospel, in chapter 13, and I take for my text this evening the final verse that we read, Luke, chapter 13, and verse 17. When he had said these things, all his adversaries, his enemies, those who had opposed him, were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Well, I take as our title tonight, Glorious Things Done by the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter and the portion that we've read from it this evening seems to me it is a chapter of division. The people divided themselves... Some were against him. They didn't like what he did. They didn't like what he taught. And they didn't like him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, their Creator. And yet, the Lord Jesus himself divided the people into two camps. Those who were for him and those who were against him. Some, it seems, were bound up by a hypocrisy that we shall consider. And there were others who had this notion, which is popular today. It was popular in the time of Job, that those who have trouble and difficulty in life, that the cause of it is because of their own sin. That seems to be The argument here in the first few verses. He mentions a couple of calamities and we shall look at those. But really I'm going to expand upon these verses before we come to our text in verse 17. The people divided themselves. There were those that were superstitious. Those that believed if something bad, if an accident is to happen, an illness... A great affliction, it's because the person has sinned and is more sinful than the other people. That's the argument here. Well, there is an underlying theme that's behind this and the Lord Jesus is highlighting this. It's this tendency of human nature, and we all do it, I do it, you do it, to compare ourselves with each other. It's a little bit like a tall man and a short man standing next to each other, next to the Shard, that tallest building in Europe, in the centre of London, there by London Bridge, a tower so high. And one man says to the other, I'm taller than you are. What little difference does it make if there's a centimetre here or there compared to the towering righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our comparison should not be with each other. That's one of the many challenges of social media for us today. It's, there's good things about it. We can be informed. We can know the weather and the news and keep in touch with pictures of family. But the great danger is we compare Look at the holiday that he's just been on and she's been on. And we make these comparisons with one another. We compare who's got this and who's got that. Who's done this and who's done that. And that's really the pretext to the beginning of chapter 13. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans. There were these people, a group of Galileans, we we know very little about them, except they died suddenly. It seems that Pilate, it tells us here, had mingled their blood after they'd been killed, somehow, murdered perhaps. Maybe it was an uprising of nationalistic fervor in that part of the land, and in Galilee, Pilate takes their blood and he puts it together with the blood of the animals that were being sacrificed. And the people looked on and tutted and they shook their head and they said, Those people, look at them, they were more sinful than the other people of Galilee. And that's what we do. That's what we do when we're little. Oh, look at him. Look at her. Look at the way they dress. Look at the way they speak with an accent that's unfamiliar. Look at their lives. And the Lord Jesus reprimands them. He's going to repeat in two different examples. Verse 3 he says, Do you think those people that died were more sinful than the rest of the people that lived at Galilee, you don't understand the ABC. You shouldn't be comparing yourself with the people of Galilee. You need to compare yourself with the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's the right benchmark. I tell you nay... But except ye repent, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. One of those verses that like an arrow goes right to the heart. It puts the finger on the problem. We think we're a little bit better than our neighbor, than another member of our family. And the Lord Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. It's not about comparative righteousness. It's not whether you're better than your neighbour in Inverness. What matters is how you stand before God. If you haven't repented personally of all your sin, you will perish likewise in the murder, the mass murder. Sometimes we hear, don't we, often in America, somebody goes into a shopping mall or into a school and guns down a dozen people. And seemingly that's what was happening there. The Galileans. Well, there's a second example. In verse 4 he says, But what about that tower that fell? We don't know why it fell. But 18 people were crushed underneath it. Do you think that they at Jerusalem where the tower fell? Do you think that they were worse sinners than the rest of the people who lived at Jerusalem? No, we're all sinners. We all come short of the glory of God. When viewed from the holiness of God, we're all like little grasshoppers. How can you distinguish one grasshopper from another? They all look green. They've all got two wings. They all flap. They're just the same. And we're the same. Those 18 people that died, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What solemn words to speak to the people. As they were listening to him, Galilee and now Jerusalem, all cut down to size, all put on the same level. Anybody on a pedestal today, this evening, listening? You think you're a little better? No, the Lord Jesus says we're all much of a muchness, viewed from God's perspective so he's dispelled this myth of divine retribution just as Job Job's three so-called counsellors they said to him no Job your boils your bereavement your impoverished state is because you have sinned and Job said no 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 we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there are tragedies and there are people mown down with a gun and car accidents and cancer because we live in a sinful, fallen world and we're all the same. We're sinners. I'm affected by your sin, you're affected by my sin, and the world is groaning under sin. That's because of the fall, and that's how the Lord said it would be. But then there's a third example here, and it comes in this healing of this woman. We shall skip over the parable of the fig tree. And the Lord Jesus is teaching again on the Sabbath day. and He goes into the synagogue, and there he sees a woman bent double osteoporosis, bent double. You ever seen a lady? She's almost got her head in her knees. To cross the road is painful to watch. And here is this woman for 18 years, bowed down. She couldn't even lift up her head. She had no strength, no ability. And there the Lord Jesus saw her. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Lord Jesus saw her. He notices. He notices our condition and our plight. He saw her. He saw the need. It couldn't be missed. Everybody could see this woman. And they knew her terrible affliction. What does he do? He doesn't pass by as those did when the Samaritan was in need. No, he called to her. Do you know that's what the Lord Jesus does? He still calls. He calls this evening. He calls to everyone that's bent double, crippled, afflicted, in a condition and state. And he says to the woman, Woman, thou art loosed even before she calls on him. Even before he puts his hands on her, the woman is going to be healed, that's certain. Because the Lord Jesus is going to do it and his word is sure. And certain woman thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he lays his hands upon her. And in that word which is mentioned 40 times in the book of Mark and also here immediately. Immediately, when the Lord Jesus says so, immediately, he made her straight. She was bent double, crooked. Isn't that true of us? With our sin, twisted. It's what the word iniquity means, twisted, bent, bent double. This woman, and he straightens her out, beautifully straight, upright. Like a palm tree. Immediately she was made straight and she knew who had done it. And she glorified God. One has come over to the Lord's side. One glorifies God. Now he puts his hands upon her and the people are watching. There in the synagogue we're going to see another hypocrisy highlighted here the people are watching there's enemies scowling sat there in their seats or reclining and they're looking at him and they're thinking this man he's broken the sabbath oh the lord didn't come to break the sabbath the lord was the one that gave the sabbath but the lord decides to heal Shall not the God of all the earth do right? And there the Lord Jesus, he desires to heal. What a good day to heal. What a good day to be converted to Christ on the Sabbath day. But the people look on. They find fault. They try and claim that the Lord Jesus Christ has broken his own law. There are six days To work. The Sabbath day, that's not for work. And what you've done is work. It wasn't work, it was healing. This was eternal, eternal salvation. This was glory to God, that's not work. And the Lord answers and calls, Hypocrite, hypocrite. You don't see the sin in your own life? And you want to point your finger at the, at the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity? You want to find fault in a man whose only fault is to straighten a woman out, to give her life that she didn't have, to give her straightness that she desired. And they come and find fault and they would have done the same with an animal. And he saves a woman who was in great need. And this woman is not just any woman. She is a daughter of Abraham. An affectionate term to say that this woman, she was in the godly line, so to speak. She's only afflicted in this way because the fall and Satan's work has bound her. 18 years, a cripple. And his fault was to heal the hypocrisy. But you know we have the same, don't we? We compare ourselves to others. We try to find just a millimetre of extra righteousness in our own thought. And if that's not good enough, we turn to someone else and we find fault in them. We see the minor minor indiscretion not that what the Lord Jesus did was a fault it wasn't but they were accusing him of hypocrisy they didn't see the plank the tree in their own eyes wanting to find fault with the Lord Jesus Christ himself well that's the context that's really the Hypocrisy that he's exposing. This tendency of human nature to compare. Endless comparisons. It starts in the school playground. Look at him. Look at her. She's got the better trainers. She's got the smarter this, that and the other. It goes on in life. And you know until... The day we reach our grave, that's the natural human condition to compare ourselves with others and to find fault with others, to lift up ourself just a little bit above. This is self-righteousness. This is what the Lord Jesus is exposing. Well, there's a second lesson here. The lesson is really about repentance and that's what I want to focus on for a few minutes. He repeats that twice, doesn't he? Except ye repent. Repentance, what is it? Is it just being sorry? Is it that cathartic feeling, a few tears? Oh, I feel better now. Somebody knows about my sin. I've wept a few tears, I can move on. Is that what the Lord Jesus means by repentance? No, I don't think so. Do you know the whole characteristic of the Lord Jesus' public ministry and John the Baptist is summed up in that one word, repentance. That's not the message that's preached, is it, today? God is love. When people get to the end of life, they then have a funeral and the wings flap above the coffin. And the people are all taken to heaven. Isn't that what people say? No, the Lord Jesus says, except unless, unless, that's the condition, unless you personally repent of your sin. This is what real Christianity starts with. There's a dawning realisation. No, I'm not better than the person next to me. I'm not a millimetre better in God's sight. We're all the same. And unless I've repented, unless I've come before God to see my own sin, There's no hope for me. I can't excuse. I can't blame. I can't minimize my sin. I can't redefine sin to suit me and my purposes. Let me tell you five key words for repentance. Do you know repentance needs a knowledge of the sin that we've done? You can't repent, really. The sin that you don't know about, of course. Sometimes we do sin and we don't know we've offended. We don't know we've hurt. But for repentance to be real, we've got to have a knowledge of what we've done. We've got to ask God to show us our sin. To show us how vile our sin is in God's sight that we've broken all of God's laws in word and thought And indeed we need to have a knowledge of it so that we can acknowledge it to God. That's what David did in Psalm 51 when he had sinned. He acknowledged his fall and his sin. The second word that we need to know about repentance. There is no repentance unless there's sorrow. You can't repent. Laughing, you can't repent dancing, you can't repent telling jokes. No, there needs to be a godly sorrow, not some emotion that's whipped up, but there needs to be a genuine weeping in the heart over what I've done and said and over the offence that I've caused to God. The third word, a knowledge, a sorrow. There needs to be a hatred of that sin. Is the sin in your life? And you've just carried on with it year after year, causing damage to yourself and to others. and You haven't yet hated that sin. There needs to be a hatred, a detesting. Oh, I don't want to live that way anymore. With God's help, I will turn. I will offend no more. And then fourthly, there needs to be a confession. You can't repent without coming in prayer. Repentance is prayer. You can't repent without prayer. You need to confess, tell. You can't mention every sin, but every major category. All the ones that the Holy Spirit puts upon our memory, we need to tell them. We need to remind ourselves and our God, who ultimately our sin is against. And we need to confess with our lips. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and tell him the sin that we have done. But there's a fifth aspect. We need to turn Turn round. That's what repentance means. Going one way in one direction and then a turning so that you never want or desire or plan to return to that sin. Do you know one of the great sins of the day and age that we live in with all the access to computers is the sin of the eyes. Looking. Looking. At things that we should not look at. And you know if that's the sin of a person, they need to be so determined that they will not go back. They put safeguards in place. They're willing for anybody to look at their mobile phone, their computer, to make a covenant with their eyes. that they will not look at any unclean thing. That's repentance. Turning, never going that way, never looking in that direction, never going to that place again. If a man, if a woman is an alcoholic, would they go back to the place associated with their fall and their drunkenness? No, we never even go near again. A turning from sin, from the place, from the places where we have sinned. Well that's true repentance except you know your sin, you have a sorrow over sin, a hatred of your sin, a confession to God of what you've done and said and been and then a turning. That's surely what the Word of God teaches is true repentance. But isn't it interesting, let's go back to the parable Of the fig tree. Why does the Lord explain the fig tree after twice he's spoken about repentance? Well, there's a very good reason because we know when there is genuine repentance, because there will be fruit, fruits of character. Here's the Lord Jesus speaking to a group of Israelites, a group of Jews whose religion was on the outside, but not in the heart. They were proud Pharisees, proud Sadducees, proud of their Jewish ancestry. And they thought they were better than the people that had died at Galilee and Jerusalem. And then the Lord Jesus says, the parable of the fig tree, it's quite striking. Goes to the tree in the parable, the man does. There's no fruit. No fruit, strike it down. Like the people that died at Galilee. Like the people whom the tower fell upon, strike them down. But God, in His mercy, in the picture of the parable, says, No more time, one more year. Is there someone here tonight? I don't know whether you'll have another year. Will the Lord God give you one more year? There's no fruit. In your life at the moment, there's no fruits of repentance. You haven't truly turned. You haven't left your sin. You haven't looked to him. And in the parable, the Lord Jesus in his mercy to the Galileans and those of Jerusalem says, no, no, don't chop it down. Don't let the tower fall. One more year. There's even a word more of grace. He'll give opportunity. He'll give encouragement. He'll let the fruit tree have the maximum opportunity. He'll come. He'll dig it around. He'll give you opportunity. He'll give you time. He'll give you those around you that will encourage you to repent. Will there be fruit? Verse 9. If it bear fruit, well, that soul is saved because they've repented of their sin and they've demonstrated a new life. Now they've got fruits patience. They once had a temper, no temper now. They once were unkind, now they're so kind. They once had nothing good to do in their life. Now they want to work for the Lord. If it bear fruit well and if not, then the tower will fall. The mass murder Of Galilee may come. Cut it down. Cut it down. You've had a year. You've had time. You've had another opportunity. Cut it down. God's righteous justice after grace and mercy and kindness. Oh, the Lord is so merciful. Let's come to our text as we close seems to me that all the verses of this chapter 13 are summarized in verse 17 we had to understand the former before we can come to the text and when he had said these things the three illustrations the tower the mass murder if that was what it was and the healing of this woman they've watched they've listened they've heard the best preacher They've witnessed the most righteous man that ever lived. And they've heard him pleading with them to repent or they perish. And then the people that watched on his enemies were ashamed. What were they ashamed of? Oh, I hope that some were ashamed of their own sin, their comparative self righteousness, their thinking. That anything that happens in life that's bad is because of something done. No, God is gracious and merciful. We live in a fallen world. That's why things happen that are painful and accidents. But look, there's another group of people. And all the people. Notice his use of all. When he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. He goes to the extremes. The people were all ashamed or they all rejoiced. They were in one of two camps. There was nobody on the fence, nobody unsure, not like those Poles. I don't like to use an illustration like this. Independence? Non independence? Oh, I don't know. No. You're either one or the other. You've either repented of your sin or you will perish. You're either an enemy of God, an adversary, and maybe there's some shame, or you rejoice. Rejoice what at? For all. The glorious things that were done by him. Do you know the only one that does glorious things in this whole world is the Lord Jesus Christ. This view. I've never preached in a place with such beauty behind for me, not for you. Who did this? The Lord did all the glorious things with his hands in creation. And then he does them again. In the new birth, in the recreation, what men and women spoiled. God makes new and afresh. All the people rejoiced for all the glorious things, no more glorious than this woman whose life was empty and useless. She couldn't see, she couldn't work, she couldn't live as she desired. And the Lord Jesus sees her heals her, touches her, calls her to himself and straightens her out. No wonder the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. In another gospel, on the same passage it said, they were amazed, astonished. No teacher like him that could convict Put his finger on the problem. No teacher so persuasive, so convincing. Nobody so rational and logical. Nobody so powerful yet so compassionate. This is our Saviour. Is he your Saviour tonight? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Do you rejoice with the, uh, the people that witnessed all that he had done? For all the glorious things that were done by him and by him alone. Oh, let's give thanks to God for all his goodness to us this evening that we can reflect upon. Let's pray together. Oh, our gracious, eternal, heavenly Father, we pause And we reflect at all the glorious things that God has done in creation. Ruined by the fall, bent double. Oh Lord, we thank Thee this night that in the new birth, that perfect healing, not just of body but of soul and mind and heart, the Lord Jesus straightens us out, makes us new again, And we can rejoice at all the glorious things he has done and done again to mend what the fall ruined in all those that would come and rejoice in him. Oh may we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ even this very night. Lord make us to feel our frailty, make us to feel our years Make us to know that we may not have one more year, but may we turn and come to him this night, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to sing our closing praise tonight Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The Lord's my light and saving health, who shall make me dismayed? My life's strength is the Lord, of whom then shall I be afraid? When as mine enemies and foes, most wicked persons all, to eat my flesh against me rose, they stumbled and did fall. We shall sing verses three down to the end of verse 5. Service that's now the prayer meeting this coming Thursday is at 7:30, and it will be taken by Mr. Harley Cameron. And the service is next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 and 6:30, taken by the Reverend Stuart Farms. A notice of Saturday the 20th of August: the Scottish Reformation Society are holding an online conference, and details. on the flyer on the flyer on the table in the vestibule to thank you for your warmth and invitation to come and preach and minister today and thankful for the lord's blessing upon each one of us let's close with the benediction now oh our gracious god and father we're thankful for a day in thy house a day where we've been able to praise Thee, a day where we've been able to remember Thy goodness to the children of men. And, O Lord, now as we go into another week, we do pray that we will not wander from the pathway, that we will live near to the cross, that we will have a close walk with our God. O Lord, so now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the only Saviour, the love of God Almighty, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.